You smiling? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Why are you smiling? I just really like smiling, sir. I'm so sorry. I like smiling. Please stop yelling at me. I like smiling. Smiling's my favorite. Welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast. Podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, as always. And today we have a, I think, a really good movie. Um, it's got its problems. And maybe we'll, we'll talk about some of those today. But today's film that we're going to chat about is 2000s classic remember the titans the film based on a true story about an integrated high school football team you know the main character his face is all over the poster that's right denzel washington one of the roles i think a lot of people think about when they you say the name Denzel Washington, it wasn't the movie that he won his best actor Oscar for, but a great performance nevertheless. And historically, the real Herman Boone character that he plays was far meaner. Um, and to take a really mean person and make them likable and charismatic, pretty much only something that uh, I think, at least, uh, Denzel Washington can do. Other names that uh, appeared in this movie as, you know, like really early teen, teen actors that sort of had careers right after this. Uh, so... Donald Faison <laughs> plays uh, P.D. Jones, and he goes on to Scrubs fame and a lot more than there. Hayden Panettiere in one of her kid uh, acting roles. Of course, we all know that she becomes a cheerleader in Heroes. Kate Bosworth plays a really racist uh, former girlfriend of Gary Bertier. Uh, Ethan Suppley, who looks far different these days than he does as Louis Elastic, uh, the everyman, I guess, uh, that sort of doesn't matter uh, if you're black or white. And so, yeah, he's the Michael Jackson um, character in this movie. And then my favorite, where are they now, people? Ryan Gosling. And I completely forgot that he was in this movie, and he played such... The character he did, somebody who only knows how to line dance or whatever the dance he's doing and only knows things about country music, but sure wants to know more about that Motown. Um, loved Love his character. Love his character. A couple of other names that uh, you might be familiar with. Will Patton plays Bill Yost, the coach, the white coach of this 
uh, now integrated high school uh, football team or integrated high school. And it has a football team, of course, uh, directed by Boaz Yakin. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. I don't think I've ever heard it said out loud by somebody else um, and written by Gregory Allen Howard. Uh, that was like the second take. <laughs> Of me getting that name right. So directed by Boaz Yakin and written by uh, Gregory Allen Howard. Uh, And like I said, this film is based on a true story. So Disney, as the distributor and the production company, really did their Disney self on this one. So we are going to have a really good discussion on this one. So without any more delay let's get right to it my guest host today is friend of the show dr win good friend she's a professor if you remember of psychology at buena vista university in iowa this is her fifth appearance on the show i think i need to get a five timers club jacket going wind welcome back to the show how are things going since we last spoke Things are really good for me. I'm super excited to be joining the Five Timers Club here. I'm I'm right up there with First Steve, one. Steve Martin, right? Yeah. Um, well, I'll get him on the line, and then I'll call Tom Hanks over. Oh, Paul Rudd just joined, oh. too. So, yeah. I'm in good company. Um, we'll get it. Yeah, we'll get everyone, <laughs> getting everyone in and get your jacket, your golden jacket. It's exciting. Um, it's in the mail. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, So last time you were on, it was the start of last spring semester. So it's been a year. So you've gotten up to a lot of stuff. But the last time you were on, as is the nature of this uh, of this podcast, you were teaching a psych and film class. And it is one of the favorite ones of this show. So how did it go last year? So I get to teach that class every other spring. I'm not teaching it right now, but Mm -hmm. I love teaching that class partially because I get to watch movies and talk about psychology in the movies, just like we're doing right now. Um, And also partially because the students love it so much. But I'm always sort of surprised at the movies that they hate versus the movies they love because they're usually the opposite of my opinion. So (laughs) on this show, we have talked about Two of my favorite movies, um, actually three of my favorite movies. You you've talked about Memento. Um, mm-hmm. Together we've talked about A Clockwork Orange right. and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. They hate those movies. So it's so <laughs> and I of course love those movies. Um, today we're doing the opposite and talking about a movie that is by far their favorite of the whole semester. And I like this movie. Wow, I don't love okay. it as much as they do. Yeah, that's and that's really interesting. We'll get into those thoughts in just a second. But I wanted to get your overall thoughts on um, choosing this film, both in your class and the one that that we're going to talk about now. So remember, the Titans came out in 2000. So 20 over 20 years ago, it's old enough to drink in the United States. (laughs) And we we've been actually talking about doing this movie for a couple of years now. But um, I asked you a couple of weeks ago if you were down to do it now and um, it being February, I think this is a pretty good movie to talk about race being Black History Month. Um, it's a it's a good film to start that conversation. 
Though, as we'll talk, it's not the strongest in that conversation. So what brings you to use Remember the Titans in this class? I like to use Remember the Titans in this class because um, most of the students at my university are athletes. And so they enjoy the fact that we're sort of featuring sports. I also Mm -hmm. use this movie as the very last one in the semester. And I do that on purpose because so many of the movies we watch have very depressing topics. So we talk about suicide. We talk about Mm -hmm. clinical depression. We talk about sort of gender norms and uh, sexual assault. And I like to end the semester with something that's a little bit peppier, uh, just just so that we feel good as we uh, leave the semester. And as I said, my students not only love the movie, but it's a very sort of feel good, very Disney movie. Oh, yes, it is a Disney movie. Yeah. So I get the yeah, I get that uplifting the feel good. Uh, you sort of have it, it's got a great ending to it. Very inspiring ending which is successful for two reasons. One, it's a Disney movie, and two, Denzel Washington. He's very symmetrical. Oh, my God. He is so good (laughs) in this movie. He is the only thing that keeps me coming back to this one, and it's not even the one that he won his Best Actor Oscar for. Oh, no. Um, He... He's one of my favorites. I kind of have a little bit of a crush on Denzel. Um, Me too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's fantastic. Great acting. Um, I, I'm curious if I if I had a conversation with him, kind of what he would think about this movie looking back on it 20 years ago. But he was great in the. Yeah. And I got to say, everyone else was. The football is um, passing. <laughs> Pun in not intended, <laughs> but really good. <laughs> Uh, nevertheless, so it, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's not well filmed because they're not really playing football, but, um, but it, it, it is, I suppose, mediocre is what I'll call it. So what I, I want to, I want to start our discussion when, with, um, an exploration of, the major themes of this film, before we get into the site content, the major themes of this film uh, as a window of the past, but also a way to use it in the future, so to speak. And that is a film about segregation, race, uh, specifically white and black uh, individuals in a southern town right after integration. So it says in the movie. We'll talk about the inaccuracies historically later in the program. So I want to get your your gauge on the major theme of the film, thinking on it now. Well, I think the major theme of the film is overcoming prejudice and seeing how we're all in this together. Um, you know, I think that's sort of the the obvious message. I think it's what the producers intended. Um and, you know, for a Disney movie, um, they do deliver on that message. Sure. Do you have any reservations on the message now versus back in the message being received back in 2000? I think my major reservation with it when I watch it now is it's Disney. I mean, and I mean, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is it's it's such a simplified version of reality. It's 
it's nothing particularly um, hard to watch. It's not um, tragic. You know, people aren't dying. And and that is the reality of the world today. Um, So it's it's the sort of Disney-esque, you know, appropriate for seventh grade kind of version of what's going on in, in reality. Yeah, I like I like that that last appropriate for seventh grade. So I'll be honest, I haven't watched it. I rewatched it for a conversation, but I hadn't watched it in probably more than a decade. Uh, but I've seen it about three or four times, probably within that kind of, oh, this is on. Oh, I'll give it a watch because I like Denzel kind of right. vibe. But I don't think I ever really paid as close attention to the way that the integration of these schools and the closeness to the Sharif Roberts Cave study that I, you know, that I would have, I didn't then, but I do now. And I'm just like, yeah, this, and you, you put it perfectly. It's Disney-fied and it makes it, they make it, in a way that uh, I think sidesteps the actual issues. And so I think if I were to use this uh, film as a teaching tool, I think it would have to come with a disclaimer like, listen, this movie is going to show you a rosy picture of racial relations in 1971 that don't appear to be the case even in 2020x whatever you know whatever the year is right right so keep that in mind you are watching a disney movie right i think that's a really important point and i think later tonight we're going to kind of talk about reality versus fiction in this actual story um so we can kind of come back to this theme but it's it's definitely, you know, the the world's happiest integration, just like Disneyland, yeah. right? Because, you know, Ruby Bridges was getting she was getting rocks thrown at her, right? So, and granted, that was you know in the 1950s when schools first started getting integrated in the South, and this film is set in 1971. You would think it would be rosier, but it was still pretty tough. And and I think that and in most places, right? I mean, one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that it takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, um, which is a pretty cosmopolitan place, and and was pretty okay with integration, relatively speaking, to a lot of other places in the country. So the fact that they have like this protest on the first day of school that just didn't happen. Um, so you know, again, I think it's important for us to kind of come back to this at the end. Yeah. Okay. So we got our thoughts out there. It's, you know, it's not the it's not the end all be all racial. It's not the beginning nor the end of a racial uh, discussion that anybody should have. So I think uh, getting that out right in front before we talk about the psych stuff was important. Speaking of the psych stuff, though. There are a lot of parallels, like I said, to some research that we have seen in uh, social psychology over the last uh, 70 years, we'll say, 
Um, and it first starts with Gordon Allport. So when um, what did Gordon Allport say about uh, groups coming together? Yeah, so he's a really well-known name in early social psychology, and um, he wrote the first textbook on prejudice in the United States. And yeah. at the time that he was doing research, you know, 1940s, 50s, um, the the idea at the time, the prevailing hypothesis in psychology was if you wanted to end prejudice against two groups, what you should try is what was called the contact hypothesis. So the contact hypothesis at the time was the idea that you maintain prejudice against the out group, whatever group you're not in, because you don't hang out with them. You don't spend time with them. And so you have no you have nothing to go on except for the stereotype that maybe your culture has taught you. And if you just spent right. time with them, that contact, then your prejudices would go away and you would you know, see the beautiful rainbow diversity in the other group. Mm -hmm. Now. Allport basically said it's not that simple. So he, right? <laughs> I mean, which we know, right? Like a lot of times when yeah. you interact with somebody from an out group, they you walk away from that confirming your prejudice. Or if it's a negative right. interaction, it can get worse. Mm -hmm. So Allport kind of acknowledged that, and he set out four criteria that he believed would be important for the kind of contact that would actually be successful in reducing prejudice. And the big famous study that tested that kind of in real life was by a, another person called Muzaffar Sharif, who was uh, an immigrant from Turkey. And he did mm -hmm. the famous study that we call Robber's Cave. Yeah, Robber's Cave uh, State Park. Right. Is where that is. You can you can go visit there if you want yeah. to. So let's take these um, let's take these four criteria in turn and see if we can place them in um, some scenes in the movie to give context to the listeners. So what's the first uh, criterion? So what Allport hypothesized and what um, Sharif kind of tested was that in order for the prejudice to be reduced, you had to have interaction or contact where both groups started with equal status. So mm -hmm. if one group has um, sort of privilege over the other group, that's just going to build resentment. It's going to build, you know, maintaining the status quo of one group having more power over the other. In the movie, Remember the Titans, what how we see this kind of play out is that the players are concerned about, um, am I going to get start a starting position, right? Right. And so they're both kind of used to having a starting position from their segregated schools. And what they're told is you will get a position based on your actual talent and effort mm -hmm. and attitude. And so um, how that plays out in the movie, again, because it's a Disney movie and everything is perfect, is that that then kind of puts everyone on a level playing field, literally and figuratively. Right. <laughs> Love and, it. And that, that that works out really well. Everyone starts the same. If you survive camp. You will be on the team. Yeah, and I think uh, a good a good thing to add here is a, as the players uh, start the same, so do the two coaches. So Bill Yost is the head coach of this high school as it existed as a white high school. And then um, with the integration of black students of another high school, I think it was, uh, in the area into a singular high school. Yeah, it was, um, it was three separate high schools, actually. Three they, separate they high don't, schools. They don't even mention that in the movie, but in reality, <laughs> it was three separate high schools. It was, okay. 
Um, and so then we have this new coach coming along, not affiliated with the other other high schools that were integrated, but from um, I think it was North Carolina. Um, so he comes from a high school coaching job there, and he was the head coach there. So they're both head coaches, and when they come, it's almost like uh, Herman Boone is going to be the assistant coach to Bill Yost. But the school board, I think it was, had um, other plans, and they did plan to make Boone the head coach, but wanted him there first. Right, and and, and so that does. So kind we've of got two equal, two equals. I mean, it. I don't. They're almost equal, but in fact, like Boone is the head coach, right? So they. Uh, yeah, I'm just talking about the moment that they arrive together right. where right. they don't really know what's going to go. They, But they do want to run the program right. in their own ways. Right. And right? they each have their own thing that they're in charge of, right? Like one yeah. person, I, I don't know. Sports. One gets offense, well, one right. gets offense, defense. defense. I don't want to yeah. use the wrong sports words. But <laughs> it seems like they, I have, got you. they have their own kind of compartmentalized thing that they're in charge of. And it's true that one is the head coach and one is an assistant coach. but they do seem to have like their own responsibilities, which is mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I think that as the movie wears on, even though Yost is in charge of the offense and, and, uh, Boone is in charge of the defense, but Boone is also, he's like, if your offense start messing up, then I'm taking over or whatever. I think as the film goes on and they start sort of montaging through the games that they keep winning because they're so good, um, that I think that power struggle there kind of dissipates and they cross talk on what would be good for offense, what would be good for defense. I mean, we see it a little right. bit um, toward the beginning when they're at camp and uh, Yost hands uh, or vice versa. I don't remember who hands yeah. who what. Who hands uh, Yost the, the playbook. Oh, uh, yeah, a playbook. Like, right. give these a shot. These worked for me kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of... Oh, no, um, sorry. The scene you're thinking of, it was the other way around. Yost gives okay. Boone the playbook and says, like, this is my trick plays. And Boone's like, oh, I, right. I, don't, I don't do trick plays. Yeah, I don't do trick plays. You have to do trick plays. <laughs> well, and he ends up doing a trick play later in the movie. Right. Um, you know, no dialogue is wasted here. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is the second criterion? The second criterion is that the individual people within the two separate groups have to spend time with individual people from the other group and more than one person from the other group. And the idea there is if you just spend time with one person from the other group and you learn something about that, that person, you might then say, oh, everybody from that group is like this one person. But that no, maintains your stereotype, meant. right? Right. Um, so uh, if I find out Alex really likes dogs, then I might think like everybody from Alex's group really likes dogs. So the idea is if you spend individual time with people, various people from the other group, you learn to see the diversity within the out group. And that makes you realize my stereotype doesn't hold up because there right. is diversity in that group just as much as there is diversity in my own group. Mm -hmm. And um, I think 
I think you hit the nail on the head there with um, the you can't just do it with one person. You got to do it with multiple people. And so how do they how do they achieve this in the movie then? Right. So this is a big part of the movie where they're going to the the camp sort of to get ready for the school year. So it's hitting on Robber's Cave, like right on the nose with the camp thing. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with Robber's Cave, Sharif sets up this summer camp where boys actually come to the summer camp. They're separated. And then they um, create prejudice sort of experimentally by putting them through a series of sports tournaments where they decide that they don't like the other group. Okay, so now we have to get them to like each other. Right. So in the movie, um, he does this by, first of all, um, getting everybody off the bus and making them sit with a player from the opposite race. All right, listen up, listen up. I want everybody off the bus. Let's go. Follow me, everybody. Let's go right now. All right. Everybody off the bus. Listen up. I don't care if you're black, green, blue, white, or orange. I want all of my defensive players on this side, all players going out for offense over here right now. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. You and you, offensive bus, sit together. You and you, defensive bus, sit together. Get comfortable, too, because the person that I have you sitting next to is the same one that you'll be rooming with for the duration of this camp. And that actually happened in the real Remember the Titans. So that scene Mm -hmm. is true to life. Then when they get to the camp, um, they have to actually room with someone from the other race. They have to spend time talking to people from the other race and learning facts about them and their lives and their families. And they have to do that with every person from the other race, right? So you're, again, learning that diversity. Yeah, and they they do a, a number of different like vignettes at camp that sort of illustrate w- how it's progressing. Um, so there is obviously a couple of montage scenes where they're kind of just showing how goofy this is. So um, my my favorite scene in the whole movie is so dumb, but it's it's um, Ryan Gosling yeah. and Bosley just like dancing like fake line dancing in place <laughs> to the country music which sounds awful right and um his, his who he's rooming with at the time is just like oh my god kill me now right which would have also <laughs> it's good been my, you like this it's good yeah that would have been also my my reaction had i been roomed with someone who Same. listens to that music all the time <laughs> yeah so um i i was i i so that there's that, and then um, the uh, locker room scene where um, they're just coming out with yo, uh, yo mama jokes, right? And then they then a song comes on, and they all start singing it together. Oh, such brilliance mm-hmm. uh, in a Disney movie! Everyone's kumbayaing by right. that time. Yeah. So they and they do a really good job of just like not showing one thing, but like multiple things. And it sort of grows as the movie goes. Right. We get a uh, this growth of a relationship between Gary Bertier uh, and, um, and Julius. And Julius Campbell, Campbell. who, you know, are uh, at odds with each other at the beginning of the movie and just dislike each other to their cores but have this really great moment at, uh in the middle of the movie so not only do they show that in the in the camp 
where they're growing this understanding and respect. But they show it throughout the movie, I think, um, which is it, which is something that they could have like dropped if they really wanted to. Right. They yeah. could just be teammates. Right. To, but to, they end up like becoming brothers almost. Right. Right. Um, and, and to be fair to, to the writers at Disney, they do make an <laughs> effort to address sexism with the daughters a little bit. They that's make, true. Make, yeah. They make a Disney nod to homophobia with sunshine, you know, so they try to just kind of make everybody like everybody by the end. Yeah, that's yeah. So uh, almost a colorblind perspective, uh, which we know does not work. <laughs> right. Which we don't know does not work. Uh, OK, so what is the third criterion of all ports uh, theory here? The third criterion is kind of going back to the coaches, but it's also a bigger picture, which is that the authority figures and general environment have to be supportive of the groups coming together and ending their prejudice. So we see that struggle a little bit um, with the coaches and, it, and they also have to grow. But we right. see that in the bigger picture with um, the parents and the town also mm -hmm. having to kind of overcome their initial prejudice. Right. And and I think some specific things to point out um, regarding this is that, yeah, the coaches at the very beginning in camp are um, not fans, especially the uh, assistant uh, white coach. Right. I can't remember his name, but he's just coming in and barging in like, what are you doing in Coach Yost's office? And what are you doing here? And it's like, I think Coach Yost can talk for himself, but OK, thanks, Enforcer. Um, and then when they get to the camp, right, it's, these things slowly peel away. But then you come back to the town. You find, you know, they find out that uh, the first time he loses, he's gone. Right. Because the school board is uh, not a fan of, of the subterfuge um, to get Coach Boone head coach. Um, and... Kate Bosworth plays Gary Bertier's girlfriend. And it's like, I don't want to hang out with those people. Uh, right. And just several instances of, of not just authorities, but others that are not supportive of this. Right. We see this um, kind of poignantly with uh, Bertier's mother saying, I don't want mm -hmm. you to go play basketball, you know, with Julius. And, um, and then kind of, again, coming around and we see you know, the girlfriend refusing to shake his hand at the beginning and then going mm -hmm. up and shaking his hand in the middle of the game, by the way, um, later. But <laughs> High school football, I guess. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, we do see that it, it, it has to be in a larger environment of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And and uh, even if you kind of wanted to end the prejudice against the out group, if the larger environment is still supportive of a prejudice status quo, it makes it much harder. OK, so. If the town never came around, let's say, you know, they had a mediocre season, they did lose, but they didn't follow through with the firing on the first loss. Maybe they gave him a couple more chances to really show. But really, the town was against it. So do you think then this, um, even if like Yost was like, yeah, let's do this. This is amazing. It wouldn't have much effect. Boone's gone. I guess I don't I don't know what would have happened in terms of like the coaching staff. Um, I I can conjecture that I mm -hmm. think 
coming from a relatively small town myself, when my high school basketball team like won the championship, the mm-hmm. whole town really did kind of come together. Um, so there, <laughs> yeah, sports, sports ball, you know, and <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to. I just I'm not someone who's ever been athletic. Um, so. I, you know, maybe it's just me, you know, resentful of the fact that I have no athletic skill, but I've never been someone who like really was in the world of athletics or sports. Um, but I see from an outsider perspective, I see how that can bring people together and, and build a community. Okay. All right. And so, you know, the community has to be down with it for this for this to be successful and if they're not it's not good it's unlikely to be successful right so what is the fourth criterion the fourth criterion is actually the most important in terms of sharif's famous study and Mm -hmm. i think in this movie so just to give it the context of the research when sharif tried to bring his boys in his research study together um he tried just kind of simple contact, like y'all are going to eat lunch in the cafeteria together and just let's see what happens. Well, it did not go well. They ended up calling each other names and like throwing chairs at each other. It was it was bad news. So in order to have them uh, sort of recover from the prejudice that he had instilled in them, he had them work toward common goals or what he called superordinate goals, which is that you can't actually achieve this goal unless you work together. The classic mm-hmm. example of this is that there was a, a pickup truck that brought brought food into the camp every uh, day, and he drove it into a ditch on purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, each side of the camp, each sort of cabin of real life boys tried to like push and pull the truck out of the ditch. Now, when only one side did this at a time, the driver was actually in the truck pushing on the brake to make sure that they were not successful. <laughs> Then, I know this is so funny. <laughs> right? It's like total manipulation. Yeah. Only when the two cabins decided we're going to try this together, then did magically the truck like get out of the ditch. Yeah. So he did this in a couple of various ways in the research. But this is super important in the movie because the argument from a research perspective is neither group could have had the successful football season that they had without relying on each other. And they, yeah. they make that explicit in a couple of ways, right? Like you need to have, you need to block the people, you know, of the opposite race who are on your same team. You can't just let them keep getting hit. So the fact that they had to achieve the football wins by working together is this common goal that we see. Coach, can I speak with you in private? Sure. What's on your mind, son? I want Ray off the team, coach. You know my policy, Gary. Yes, I do. And I respect it, but I know that Ray missed that block on purpose. Sometimes you just gotta cut a man loose. Hmm. Well, you're the captain. You make a decision, but you support your decision. Ray? You're out. What? I'm not going to let you play for this team anymore. Oh, yeah, Jerry Lewis? Going to go and tell Coach Coon what to do just like last time? But then that's right. 
He is your daddy now, isn't he? Boom don't cut anybody. Remember, Gary? I had you cut, Ray. You willing to just throw away our friendship for them? You can keep them. And to your point about, you know, blocking people, that character Ray, who is told to block for the black players on offense, um, he ends up being this subversive uh, agent within the team because he doesn't like what's going on. Right. And in the middle of the movie and and despite his uh, subterfuge, they're they continue to win and eventually Bertier, who is like the captain of of the football team but also like the leader quote unquote of of the white uh boys uh, on the team he's like ray you're off the team i've you're you're doing this and it eventually ended up you know with their quarterback getting harmed who was uh injured who was black and he's like you didn't block for him. This is your fault. You're off the team. Right. And that reflects what Sharif found as well, because really importantly, if you've had two groups separated by prejudice, not only do you have negative beliefs about the opposite group, but you tend to kind of maintain positive beliefs about your own group and defend people from your own group. And what Sharif found in the study was after the, the two cabins had come together the boys in that real life study were not only willing to say some of my best friends are from the other cabin, but they were for the first time willing to say, I don't really like some of the guys in my own cabin. Some of them yeah. are jerks. And they were finally able to admit that. And we see that in the film with the character of Ray. You're right. Um, and so he's just like, no, you're, you're now ostracized from here because you are trying to, Chill our vibe, man. Get out of here. <laughs> and um, y- you mentioned a couple of uh, of other things here, too. Um, when they did the uh, understanding and respect aspect of this, you know, eventually, instead of sitting um, as uh, black players and white players, they started mingling with players on their own side of the ball, defense and offense, as right. you say. Um, and so again, they stop seeing uh, they stop seeing race in a more colorblind way. I think that's really where this colorblind idea that was really, from my understanding, color the this idea of colorblindness was really in vogue um, around this time, right? Like right. The 90s into the early 2000s. You're absolutely right. Um, this idea that I'm just not going to see race. I'm just going to pretend racism isn't a thing. We're living in a post-racial society. It just mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't work. It's disrespectful mm-hmm. to people who you're basically erasing their entire heritage. It's not a good plan. It's and also, lived it's also, experiences. It's also just a lie. Like people notice what race you are. Yeah. You can't you can't just escape it. Um. And so I, I, we, we sort of wove through here the robber's cave stuff. So to give a little bit more background and a little bit of details that I like adding to when I tell the story to my students is. So like I said, this is robber's cave state park in New Jersey. And um, Sharif and his colleagues brought a bunch of kids here. And it was 1959. 
um, summer of like 1958 or something like that, uh, where these boys came to do this. And you got to love it because it's a snapshot in time. You, you mentioned that the boys called each other names. My favorite phrase in all of psychological research. They called each other cheats and sneaks. <laughs> that was the actual question on the questionnaire. They, the, you know, the ratings that they would get at these various stages that you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were asked how many, how many of the other boys on the other team, you know, the other cabin do you feel are cheats and sneaks because these this was the 50s yeah, and these and were white boys they called each other cheats and sneaks and it was a dagger to your heart my other favorite phrase from that particular study is when they describe the sort of uh elevating aggression between the two cabins and it gets to the point where the boys were planning rocks and socks so they're, <laughs> yes. they're gonna put rocks in their socks and like whip them around and nail the other kids that's not cool uh, yeah, and like throwing them like maces. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, but also like, they didn't live here in these cabins. And so what if like you tossed one and it hit like a window or broke something like you're in for some trouble. And it's a good thing that, uh, you know, these camp counselors and these researchers stepped in and Zimbardo'd it and was like, no, you're not doing this anymore. Right. Zimbardo would just be watching from behind the pane of glass. <laughs> he, prob like, he probably would. This Although is I. Good stuff. He, yeah, exactly. Taking <laughs> photographs. So, um, when you had mentioned that they, that the, the process that these boys went in uh, for the Robbers Cave study, so they were brought to the uh, state park and they stayed in these cabins. And one thing that uh, some listeners might be familiar with is what they called themselves. So they gave them a task as a sort of a separate team building uh, exercise for that first stage, like get to know your group. And uh, so they came up with really terrifying names. Uh, the Eagles, who, you know, I got to say, bald eagles uh, don't look that terrifying. Maybe if they were trying to, like, peck out my eyes, they'd be terrifying. But they, like, coo. <laughs> they, like, coo at you. Okay. Like, You're ooh, just being anti-patriotic right now. The bald yeah, eagle. Apparently. That's good stuff. So <laughs> one so one of the groups called themselves the Eagles and they 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 made a flag and they were like this is our this is our flag damn it uh and then the other team was called the Rattlers also how by the way how do these boys growing up in New Jersey know anything about rattlesnakes I'm except sure. for what they read in a book they're probably in the boy scouts or something right yeah okay I, I'll give you that one maybe they were uh, but they, they thought, hmm, what's going to strike fear into my enemy's heart? A rattler. <laughs> a baby rattler. <laughs> they weren't thinking of baby rattles. Was, I know. I just think it's I just think it's like you guys couldn't have like thought of Wolverine or Tiger or Okay, but lion. one of my favorite photos that they published in the original study was once they sort of started war on the other camps, they made mm -hmm. new flags. And the eagles painted a new flag of an eagle stepping on a rattlesnake, which is which would happen, awesome. right? Right. If if this were a bird of prey and they were hungry, they would eat a they would totally eat a snake. Yeah. 
I've seen videos of of like ospreys like picking up a snake and just like mid air, just like crunching <laughs> their talons uh, as they're flying away with their meal. Right? Sure. Because you got to kill that thing, otherwise it's gonna bite you. I and... I'm not sure they thought out their uh, cabin names in the same way that we would have liked them to. <laughs> Jack, hey guys, I got some <laughs> some notes for you. Okay, hang on. <laughs> So so they so they do these stages. They do this first stage where where they like, you know, team build. They do that second stage where you were saying that they were actively doing things in a competitive way. And then after, you know, this like I forgot how long they were actually there for. But after this period of 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 a few days, they then, you know, ask them, how many do you how many boys of the other team do you think are cheats and sneaks? And you can see the bar graph and it's pretty high for both groups. Um, I think one group is a little higher than the other. Uh, I'm I forget how they explained the difference there, whether or not it was worth explaining and meaningful in any way. Um, it, and they they did like you said sport competitions. I think my favorite one is since they have the flags, they actually played capture the flag. Yeah. Um, which is an old timey sport that nobody ever plays anymore. Well, the one that always strikes me is in the competition phase they play tug of war and tug of war yeah and that rope that they used in tug of war is the rope that they tied to the truck and used to pull it out of the ditch in the last phase oh i don't think i ever made that connection it becomes this kind of like symbol of the fact that we are no longer enemies i like that little little yeah quite symbolic right quite symbolic and then, as you said, when this final stage where they come in and work on common goals, um, w- one of the common goals, so you mentioned the truck thing. I think that was probably one of their biggest challenges um, that they faced. But they also had smaller challenges, like make sure everybody in this room has a consensus of what film we're going to watch tonight. And they had to pool their money to rent the actual like old school projector and, mm-hmm. and film reels. Yeah. Which... You know, wouldn't be a thing now, right? The right. the massive decision would be like, what movie are we watching? But like, they were like, you got to pull your money together to get the projector. You are watching a movie tonight. <laughs> what is it going to be? Right. <laughs> there's and so there's that much effort. You got a lot of effort justification going on there too, uh, in making that common goal good for. The majority, at at least, you know, coming to a consensus. Maybe a few of them were like, ah, I don't like watching movies. And I'll just sit in the back and I'll read or something like that. But it's still a common goal. It's a lot smaller when you compare it to getting this truck out of the ditch. But it is one nevertheless. And you can kind of go back to the movie and be like, who cares about football? And that's a valid question. Some people <laughs> don't care about football. Um, and you know, they, since, since you mentioned your students are most are, are are many times athletes, um, that is the case for me. Um, I would use this movie if I had a lot of athletes in my class, especially a lot of football athletes who are like, you know, sports movies about the sport that I like are some of my favorite. Yeah. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case, but at least this is a palatable, uh, sports movie. I think, but the question is like, 
why why is you know winning a football season or a state championship the common goal here when it could be something far greater? Well, and I, I think it's it's because of the the Titans, right? Like, I mean, the, sure they picked this football team that had been you know very successful in Virginia at the time. Um, so the football is the thing that they're trying to win. And and it becomes symbolic, of course, of, you know, the lack of prejudice and the town coming together and all the things we talked about. But but football is is very Disney, right? It's something that the common person will be able to understand and relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why my students kind of uh resonate with this movie. Um they often ask me at the end of the semester why didn't we watch any lifetime movies? So that's the kind of movie that they're looking for. They're not looking for, you know, uh, a clockwork orange. Yeah, lifetime movies. Uh, hold on. Let me just do a semester of <laughs> Christmas lifetime right. films for your enjoyment. Right. See if you can spot the similarities. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to bash lifetime movies, but it's not what I'm I am. use in my college class. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, the lowest de- common denominator. No, no, no. We're going to go a little bit higher than that. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and discuss the historical events versus what is shown in this Disney movie. Stay tuned. Howdy. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you're enjoying the conversation. Over the past two years, the podcast has grown, and that's mostly in part to folks like you, the listeners. We've also had wonderful luck receiving support from the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, APA Division II Small Partnerships Grant. It's been a fun ride, and we want to keep it going. So we need your help. There are several ways that you can support this show. You can share episodes with your social media networks so we can grab new listeners. You can join our fledgling Patreon program. You can contribute directly using PayPal. Or you can purchase some sweet merchandise with our logo at our Spreadshirt merch store. All of those things can be found on the website cinemasychpod.swanpsych.com. But perhaps the best thing that you can do is to keep listening and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter so we know you've listened. Thanks. And now back to the show. And we are back with Dr. Wynn Goodfriend talking about Remember the Titans, that Denzel Washington film you saw one time 20 years ago. It's a good one. If you like Denzel Washington. Who doesn't like Denzel Washington? I would, I would like to meet that person. Me Somebody's too. just going to tell me. Somebody's just going to tell me. They're like, I listened to that episode, and uh, you told me to come and tell you that I don't like Denzel Washington. That was like, a, I don't want to know you anymore. That's your Karen I don't voice right there. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, it's a Disney movie, as we said. and. It does play a lot with historical events. So a good thing to do if um, you really want to have this entire conversation in context is to really know what Disney and the filmmakers changed versus what actually happened. Um, So this is 
based on a true story, <laughs> which, of course, is just filmmaking for some parts are true, some parts are not. We're not going to tell you what isn't and what's not. True. And I think that's the worst kind of deception because they're not going to take any responsibility for what's not true what versus what is true. They're just going to be like, you decide. Okay, all right, fine. So first things first, I think to set up this uh, discussion, the setting of the, at the time setting of the movie says 1971. It's a title card in the beginning of the movie. It says 1971. Um, the other thing that it tells you is that these schools are being integrated. Well, in Alexandria, the schools were actually integrated six, year, six school years prior to that 1971 season of the Titans. So they played with that one immediately. They didn't even let the story progress at all, and they made a change just so they could get this 1971 story down for Herman Boone, so to, to, to make it all align. What are some of the other things, Wind? Well, it's important to kind of mention a couple of the things that we mentioned uh, earlier tonight, but I just want to sure. you know, bring them up again to clarify. Sure. One is that we, we discussed that in 1965, they had their racial integration. They also had three high schools coming together into one high school. And so there was... Um, kind of consternation in the town according to what i've been able to find um but the consternation was more like okay how are you going to fit in the one building it was sort yeah. of a size issue more than the racial integration the racial integration issue so going to my school boy man this stuff is messed up yeah anything serious happened they shut the school down and our season go down the drain this here real messed up but there are a lot of pretty women here. Hey. Look at them, Gary. They hate us. Nah. Just a bad day. Things have cooled down. No, Gary. They're always going to hate us. We don't need you here either, Kitty boy. Did you hear what he said? Hey, man. Hey, Julius. Man, crazy out here, man. Yeah, well, what did you expect? I don't know. I ain't quite expected to be like this. Ah, sorry. Julius, this is Emma. They make Alexandria seem more rural right. than I feel like it that it, it was or it is. I mean, I know it's more the, the quaint suburb of Washington, D.C., but the fact of the matter is it's a suburb of Washington, D.C., I have also been to Alexandria many times because I have family there and the the cosmopolitan feel of it, the the fact that it's absolutely very racially diverse um, is part of the characteristic of the town. So I do feel like they made it seem like small town southern vibe. And that's not really what you get if you go to Alexandria. Yeah. So, I've, yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It feels like farther south. Um, and smaller town. Right. And, this, and this, neither of those things are true. And the protests that they show in the movie just did not happen, period. So um, that's an important change. The protests that they show when the school um, right. semester starts? Right. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, as if uh, I know people protest schools. Uh, the pandemic has shown us a lot right. about what people are willing to do with their free time. Um, so it doesn't strike me that they would. It doesn't strike me as as um, I'm not surprised that they would. And and other schools have protests, as we know. Um, sure. Just not. Yeah. This, just not this. Not this particular one, not in 1965, and definitely not in 1971. Right. Uh, but, so, so let's jump to the, the camp, because there's some inaccuracies at the camp, right? Right. So uh, we mentioned earlier that they did do this, get off the bus and get back on the bus on the way to camp. They really did go to Gettysburg College uh, the summer before the football season started. Um, and, and so he really did do that kind of like mixing up the races, uh, at the beginning, but there's a very powerful scene in the film where he wakes them up at 3am and makes them run through the forest in their underwear and they go to the cemetery and he makes a big speech. And that again is, um, a modification of what really happened. So apparently, um, they did visit Gettysburg, but, um, mm -hmm. it was like in the middle of the day and they got a guided tour and he didn't right. make them run there. Um, so that was, that was again, uh, playing with the facts. Yeah. And I think, I, I think the decision obviously was far more, far more, uh, cinematic to have them run at 3am into the cemetery, but it sounds like real life when you say that they got a guided tour of Gettysburg. <laughs> Right. Like, that sounds more like real life. Oh, okay. So sort of half-assed, half-assed uh, prejudice reduction. Okay, yeah, that sounds like real life. Yeah, like if you go to Gettysburg, there are like historians who will tell you the real story. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you could listen to that or not listen to that because it's a museum tour. Uh, obviously, the site of Gettysburg is important for what it was in the Civil War. But, you know, and and um, Denzel Washington, as Herman Boone, makes some really great points. It was a beautiful speech. About racial prejudice, exactly. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today this green field right here painted red bubbling with the blood of young boys smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies Listen to their souls, man. They killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not. 
but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. And um, it's just, nah, I, I, I sent the boys up to Gettysburg on the bus. They're going to guide a tour. This is great. Right, we're ta the, we're taking a break from off. camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, learn some racial history while you're there. Please. I feel like that's what really happened. Yeah. That is so real American life. It's not even funny. Yeah. Uh, what else? There is another very powerful scene where um, Coach Boone is at home and they actually have uh, Coach Yo's daughter kind of staying there and someone throws a brick through the window. That also is based on something that really happened. And in this particular case, the real thing that happened was actually worse um, because someone threw an entire toilet through the window of their house. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, and Coach Boone, the real Coach Boone, has talked about like how horrible and, and humiliating it is to some, have someone throw a toilet through the front window of your house. Yeah. So that was interesting because um, from what I read, the sort of writers and producers in the movie said, um, we're going to change it to a brick just because it's less horrifying. Yeah. And uh, there's there's that Disney um, aspect there, right? Right. Where we're like, ah, let's make this more palatable rather than suggesting that you are only worth what this thing is for. Got to say, one of the greatest inventions in the world but still, it has other connotations. Are you referring to toilets uh, or bricks? Toilets. <laughs> no, I know. I was just kidding. <laughs> um, so, and and we're just going to change it to a brick because you can easily toss that through a window. Oh, pom-pom. Right. Yeah, that is a bummer. It is, it is an example of the... Um, kind of glossing over that I think that the movie does um, for these really deeply important issues. Right. And one of those is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, homophobia, right? Right. So that's another good example. So there is a real person um, who is the character of Sunshine, who kind of comes from California. Um, that's a real person. Um, but he never... Uh, Ronnie Bass. Right. So he never... Um, the real person said, like, uh, I'm married to a woman. I've never, you know, been gay or bisexual or pansexual, um, nor did my teammates suspect that of me just because I was right. California. Like, that's just another stereotype. Also, in the movie, they make him cut his hair and people kind of make fun of him for being a California hippie and he's doing Tai Chi and stuff. And he's like, none of that ever happened. Um, I had pretty short hair, actually, and many of the people on the team had longer hair than I did. And so that that whole hippie California thing was kind of made up. Yeah. And it wasn't a rule that uh, Boone had about, you know, cutting hair and whatnot. There was no rule about that. He the real Herman Boone was a real mean guy. But he wasn't, you know, as hyper focused on like you will. You will act this way. Right. Like, like military um, stuff. Right. Like Captain Hoyt in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like he's not <laughs> saying you have to wear a tie if you're in my precinct. Right. Um, you have to cut your hair. Yeah. And to be fair, I didn't remember how long it was to how short it gets when they cut it. Yep. They barely cut it in the movie too. 
Like, I would still consider that hair long. I know. I thought, you know, that he was going to get a buzz cut. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's what that. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, yeah, they're going to cut that whole thing. Oh. Yeah. It's so silly. So silly. So um, one of the the major uh, sort of subplot points um, for the movie is that uh, Bill Yost is kind of put in a position of undermining his own team, right? He's still a coach. He's still competitive. He still wants to win, but he also has him his own ambitions, and some of those ambitions are set up in the movie. and And the uh, one of the members of the school board or something like that comes to him and says, "You know, you know, uh, your team loses. We get rid of Boone. You get reinstated as head coach. You go immediately into the high school hall of fame." Right. And. There was going to be a, a vote on whether Yost got into the Virginia High School Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. And um, and because he doesn't ultimately throw the game, um, they're like, no, no, for, none for you now, Sonny. Um, which, got to tell you, he could take those people to court for that. I'm sure some jury would be like that. He said he said. It's pretty compelling. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, uh, what what was inaccurate about that? At the time that uh, this movie was taking place, 1971, there is no such thing as the Virginia High School Football Hall of Fame. That is not a thing. It, it became a thing later, but They probably not... saw this movie. <laughs> right. They were like, oh, that's a good idea. But uh, not, not at the time. <laughs> So completely made up, uh, fictionalized thing, uh, for no reason other than to to sow uh, immediate conflict that can be immediately resolved, as you have to do in movies that aren't going to get a sequel or you know a franchise it, or whatever. It did build a lot of drama and show you know the inner conflict of willing to make a sacrifice for the greater good yeah. kind of thing. So, right in terms of the writers, again, I give the writers of this props for like. Very, very, like, you know, emotionally heartfelt stuff. Yeah, I will give them credit for that. Uh, it, it, would, it would be nice, is all I'm saying, that if it was just grounded in stuff that, like, wasn't anachronistic. Yeah. So, that's, that's my only complaint. That's I, my only complaint. I agree. Let's talk about Gary Bertier for a second. So he is, like I said, um, so he's played by Ryan Hurst. I don't know if I said that. He, Ryan Hurst has been active for the last 20 years in a bunch of stuff. You, you may have seen him uh, someplace uh, recently. But he plays uh, Gary Bertier, who is a real person, um, who is sort of the captain of the uh, team. And he, he helps bring some people to people to the table and he obviously shoves people away from the table as i mentioned with ray to really get this group going and he was a real person but they play with his history a little bit uh i think a little bit too much for the pre uh the previously mentioned uh, heart heartfelt slash heart-wrenching scenes so what was real and what was fake about gary bertier well they portray him as um getting in a car accident that leads him to be paralyzed and in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. That car accident did happen. 
Mm -hmm. really was paralyzed. He really did go um, into a wheelchair and he really did later go on to be in what was called the wheelchair Olympics. I'm not sure if in the time um, different from the Special Olympics or an earlier version. It's a, it's now the Paralympic Games. Yeah. OK, so he really did do that. And he, he really did win the gold medal for shot put. Yeah. The part that they played with to really build drama in the film was um, the time that that accident happened was a couple of months after the end of the season. Mm -hmm. So it had no effect on the plot point of the film. Um, he wasn't, you know, watching the championship game from his hospital room or any of that kind of thing. Um, they, they, they didn't say, you know, let's win this one for Gary or anything like that. Right. So, yeah, that that plays into the whole <laughs> plays into the whole like, let's create some tension where it never existed in the first place. And so um, for the viewer of the movie. They're like, oh, man, poor Gary. Right. They better win this state championship for him. When in all actuality, Gary Bertier played that state championship and won it, just like every, other, uh, every one of the other players did. Absolutely. And then he had a car accident, and then he got really good at shot put. Right. And then he won a gold medal. Right. So, and, and I mean. Did, he did die several years later, like, in the end right. of the film. Yeah, so they show the. Uh, they show the uh, begin at the beginning of the film starts with the walk toward uh, the funeral site at the cemetery. Um, and then they show they say that, that that was 10 years into the future. And that's when Gary Bertier does actually die in 1981. So it is 10 years later. So at least they get that, that one right. Um, and so he dies in 1981. Tragically. In a car accident. Right. So there is some um, tragic poetry to this particular person's life, and they show that with great effect in the movie. Um, they just mess with the timing, and I think that's a bit disingenuous for the viewer. That's one of those moments that I'm just like, I think you could have created that um, moment either in another way, so not... Um, so this sort of uh, violence porn that we all need to see in these movies. Like we don't need to see, we don't need to be like, oh, poor Gary to be like, come on, Titans, you know, you can do it because they've already set up other parts of this, but they needed it for the players. And I don't think that they needed to mess with that time. It's to me, that's disingenuous to a viewer who's not going to go look up the trivia and be like, oh, that wasn't real, that they read the title cards and they're like, he died 10 years later. OK, I mean, that seems like it's plausible. And, and the way that they set up the very end of the movie with the like black and white photographs of the people and what they went on to do, it it makes it seem like this is all a true story. Right. Yeah. When and highlighting the real people in the uh, who had you know good good amount of lines to them, not like Ryan Gosling's character who had didn't have that many lines, but like was not Herman Boone, Bill Yost, Gary Bertier. I don't think Ryan Gosling's character was a real person. You don't think he was a real person? I, I, I don't mean, think even exactly. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, like Herman Boone, uh, Bill Yost, Gary Bertier, um. And, uh, and Julius. Julius Campbell. Yep. 
you know, you you feel for these people and they they talk about them at the end and they're like, this is what happened in their lives. And that's not that's not real. So that's my major gripe about some some of these movies and particularly Disney movies that are based on true stories because they are fairly consistent at messing with historical accuracy. True. They're probably the worst defenders at it um, for pretty much everything. (laughs) <laughs> but for this for this 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 one thing, I didn't like that when I read it. I didn't like that. I think they could have done that a little bit better. Um, but then again, humans do look at a car accident and go, "Ooh, yikes! I hope they're okay." And and the car accident was real. The car accident was real, just not when it occurred. Right. And that's that's my biggest complaint. Um, what was, um, what was one more thing that they didn't get, that they didn't get right? Um, the last thing I'll say is that they, they portray the team doing various things that were made up. So one is that they portrayed a couple of the games in the film as being like super close and it came down to like the last play that was completely not real. Um, the Titans pretty much destroyed every other team the entire season. Yeah. Uh, it's a fun Disney thing to see them like dancing for their warmups. Uh, that was totally made up. They did not dance for their warmups. And then the last thing that's relevant to our conversation today is that in, in the beginning of the movie, they say that, you know, the Titans were the only racially integrated team in their mm-hmm. conference and that all the other teams were a hundred percent white players. Yeah. And they and, show that in the movie um, when, right. when we see their opponents. Yeah. Right. And that's just absolutely not true. Every high school in the conference was racially integrated. And, and if you think about it, this is, you know, 15 plus years after Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. So we're talking about, yeah, states were having to deal with their own integration issues after that decision came down. But you're talking 15 plus years. Uh, and I know there are some there. I, I know that there are plenty of places in the deep south that resisted it for as long as they could, which, you know, ultimately led to um, the civil rights movements and all that stuff. But that was also in the 60s. And this film was set in 1971. And so this again is Disney setting up a um, a sort of partially false narrative that it was this bad in 1971. And now in 2000, when this movie's coming out, look how bad it used to be. Look how terrible it is. Now look at your life. Is it that bad still? And the answer I think a lot of people could say is, yeah, it's still pretty, it's still kind of like that. Yeah. So it, it so I I I felt dismayed again first time watching this movie with the kind of lens that I've been watching movies with doing this podcast a very critical lens and not really holding um any prisoners for whether or not a film is good as it was like the question that a lot of of people ask is does it hold up of course, they're usually asking right. that question from a, like, I don't know, special effects perspective. But really, the question you could ask this, uh, you, could, you could ask of Remember the Titans is, does it hold up? And I don't think it does. 
from a uh uh from a racial perspective yeah and and we, i feel like we have this conversation a lot when i'm uh on your show because we had this conversation with rocky horror right and um a lot my students hated that film and they loved this <laughs> film. so i will i will say that i i see a lot of issues with this film i don't like some of them, several of the things that they changed just to kind of you know play devil's advocate here um i think the reason my students love this film is because it in some ways inspires them to see the good that the world could be right and so if watching this film makes you want to you know embrace people that society has told you you shouldn't embrace if if this film makes you be optimistic about the future those aren't necessarily bad things no i i i agree they aren't bad things to not have i suppose i'm more cynical these days <laughs> so maybe i shouldn't watch feel good movies now cuz i'm just too cynical you should watch movies like joker yes right <laughs> watch movies like joker or watch movies like the machinist or American Psycho. <laughs> right. Yeah, those feel good movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'll I'll come back next time and we'll talk about something that's super depressing and terrible. <laughs> Since that's what we're actually good at. Although we did talk about Elf that one time. We so. did talk about Elf. Yeah. So it it's been a roller coaster. I want to thank you, Wind, again, for stopping by to discuss Remember the Titans. And so before we say goodbye, I would uh, like to ask, what uh, what have you been up to recently? Well, in honor of Black History Month, which is why we chose this film um, for February, I'm really proud of a project that I've been working on. It's a book that will be coming out in early 2023, published okay. by Taylor and Francis. And it's called Early Psychological Research Contributions from Women of Color. Mm -hmm. And every chapter features a dissertation project from a woman of color who earned her PhD in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. And some of them, you know, are more recent than others. My chapter, I have two co-authors. And so our chapter is on Mamie Phipps Clark, and mm -hmm. she ties into our conversation tonight because her master's thesis actually um, was the famous doll studies that mm -hmm. people can look up if they're interested. And it was the first time psychology research was ever used as evidence in mm -hmm. a Supreme Court case. And that Supreme Court case was Brown versus Board of Education. Exactly. It's such an amazing um, twixt of, of, of psychological history here to be so deeply ingrained in one of the things that reshaped the United States a lot. And, um, you know, its, its decision was to integrate schools. And I think that's awesome. So congratulations on that one. Sucks that it has to, you have to wait until like a full year for it to come out. Um, but uh, let me ask you this. So the the it, it's a um, chapter. It's an edited chapter like volume. Right. So several right, right. several chapters from different author groups. 
Absolutely. And okay. uh, several um, women of different ethnicities. Uh, as authors or the subjects of the papers? Both. Okay. <laughs> but it's not just um, it's not just a book on on Mamie Phipps Clark, right? It's, right. it's other reasons. Mamie okay. Phipps Clark is just one chapter. Every chapter features a different woman of color. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. And these women of color are um, psychology researchers. They're all psychology dissertations. Um, okay. And so they're they're landmark sort of pioneers um, in terms of the the impact that they've had on. The- That's wonderful. Um, I think everyone should take a look at that when it comes out. I'm sure um, that'll be discussed. Please share it on the FB page when it does come out. Uh, Wind, I know this isn't going to be your last time, so it's 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 a see you later moment here. But I want to thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I always have so much fun. These are great. And listeners, until the next episode, thanks for listening. 